Thank you for downloading the Winnipeg Art Gallery podcast. Here is Leif Norman. Welcome to the second podcast in our ongoing series about the WAG. I'm standing outside the old Winnipeg Auditorium, which was built in 1932 and was home to the Winnipeg Art Gallery from 1933 to 1971, when it moved into a building just across the street there. You can, you can see it across many lanes of traffic. The first thing one might notice about these two buildings is that they are made out of the same type of material called Tindlestone. That's great, Leaf. But why is it interesting? Well, it's interesting because... Actually, can I... I'm going to go inside the gallery. It's cold out here. Let me take this opportunity to mention what is coming up in the podcast. We explore the art gallery and find hidden treasures. We drop a gumball down a stairwell. And we step inside a really big elevator. As I was saying before, the old auditorium and the new art gallery are made from the same type of material. And it's interesting because Tindlestone is a famous Manitoba limestone, which is seen in buildings all over Winnipeg. Tindlestone has a unique look to it and is only quarried in Manitoba. It is full of fossils and has a pleasing mottled pattern on it, which designers love. It has been used to build many notable Winnipeg buildings, such as the enormous Manitoba Legislature and towering Westminster United Church. Listeners can go to Pinterest.com slash WAGCA to see images of these. This famous Manitoba export is also seen in the Parliament buildings in Ottawa and as far away as the Empress Hotel in Victoria, British Columbia. Keith Gillis, the president of Gillis Quarries, says that Tindlestone is like an ambassador for the province. Manitobans that move away often incorporate it into their fireplaces, countertops, or stairs to remind them of home. I took a trip to the quarries a half hour north of Winnipeg to see the stone being cut and pulled out of the ground and then milled into any shape a designer or architect could want. Huge slabs and even spheres of solid limestone. Gillis Quarries is the only source for Tindlestone in the world. So the limestone that Lower Fort Gary was built with in 1830 and the Civic Auditorium that was built in 1932 was taken from the same quarry as the new gallery was built from in 1970. Now that's interesting. Yes, that's great. Leaf, can we talk to the paleontologist about the fossils now? Yes. Earlier this year, I met up with a fossil expert from the Manitoba Museum, and we walked around the WAG inside and out looking for ancient critters trapped in the stone. I'm Graham Young. I'm the curator of geology and paleontology at the Manitoba Museum. Uh, the first thing is this is all Tindlestone, which was quarried at Garson, Manitoba. It's from the later part of the Ordovician period of geological time, which means it's about 450 million years old. It's from a time when Manitoba was in the tropics, close to the equator. The equator went through the ancient continent of Laurentia, which is the mid part of North America. Uh, somewhere around Churchill was on the equator. Equator went across Alberta and Saskatchewan. So it's a it's a very different world. We have a sea covering the mid part of the continent. These rocks are lime sediments that were deposited in that relatively shallow sea. So there would have been tropical animals like crocodiles or well, well there early, would have, there early would, crocodiles. There would have crocodiles that evolved, but they hadn't. <clears throat> there weren't even... Uh, fish were very rare in the ocean at this time. We find no fish in Tindlestone. We find lots of other creatures. We find corals, uh, sponges, those uh, weird receptaculitids, 
cephalopods, snails, trilobites. So invertebrate life and plant life was very diverse and abundant, but vertebrates were, were really just getting going. That's right, dinosaurs weren't even around yet. Oh, this is twice as old as the oldest dinosaurs. So these fossils are about 450 million years old, and all of Manitoba was in the tropics at that time. And the dinosaurs are young in comparison to these fossils because they lived about 200 million years ago. Right by the front door of the art gallery are some great examples of corals, cephalopods, snail shells, and what was that uh, complicated word Graham said? Recepticulitid? Okay, internet, now you try it. Recepticulitid. When they were alive, they looked like hollow onions on the seafloor. The fossils are collapsed and have a spiral pattern of plates on them which resemble the seeds of a sunflower. Those rings are actually the most abundant large fossils in Tyndallstone. And sometimes you see it like a ring, sometimes you see it like a surface. It's something that's commonly called a sunflower coral, but it's neither, because it has a pattern like a sunflower, it's not actually a coral. It's it's a member of an extinct group called the Receptaculitids, is the big name for them. The genus is called Fisherites, and uh, we don't really know what they are. The, the most common thought is that they're a complicated green alga, but they might be sponges. What is that? <laughs> that's, a, that's a cephalopod. Okay. Yeah, that's mostly the, mostly the mid part. Of, a, of, of the shell of a creature related to a pearly nautilus. So it, it would look like a squid? It looked like a squid a, in a shell. In a long, the, pointy the, spiral shell. Uh, lo- well, no, just a long, pointy, straight shell. The, the modern ones, the modern relatives have, a, spir- have a, a coiled shell. But these ancient ones had a straight shell, which probably made balancing quite tricky. Cool. Graham and I found many fossils on the floors and walls of the art gallery, but no trilobites, which are the rock stars of Tindallstone fossils. One last thing about the Tindallstone, and then I promise I will stop. The modeled pattern seen in it is theoretically due to ancient shrimp or worms burrowing through the mud on the seafloor, and when it slowly turned to sedimentary stone, it left these light and dark shapes behind. That's interesting. Let's move on and talk to the architect of the gallery. Let's take a tour of the WAG, starting at the front. Gustavo de Rosa explained the platform area to the right of the main entrance. My idea, the requirement of the building, besides requiring us to provide so many square feet of exhibition galleries, they also wanted a sculpture gallery. I wanted that outside to get the sunshine on it. But the total area of the exhibition spaces was something like 22,000. And my earliest sketches was an L-shaped building because the site, as we know, is a triangle. With an L-shaped building, the leftover part could be an outdoor sculpture area. Right here. Yeah, but then when I added the fire escape stairs, toilets, the thickness of the walls, elevator shafts, the L's got fatter and fatter, more area, until the sculpture courtyard became a sliver only, you know? So I said, this is crazy. So I said, okay, I'm going to put the sculpture display area on the roof. And this is just 
my thinking was to put no more than one or two sculptures here. More to inform the public, oh, there's a sculpture show of Henry Moore now, or there's some other features going on. Gus and I then went inside. And the first thing people see when they enter the Winnipeg Art Gallery is a huge main hall. So what was the feeling uh, that you were trying to give people when they first came through this door and they see this magnificent hall in front of us here? This is not really a place that was designed and and intended for exhibiting paintings or what, although you can do that. This is a place more as the introduction to a big building. And by making this ceiling outside where we were, and even here, eight feet, which is not high, this is the standard height of a residential house ceiling. But by making it this height, which is not high, it's quite low for a public building, we come here, and this ceiling is two stories high, so that it feels even bigger because uh, the people coming through are compressed. Then when they come here, it opens. And I made it with the same Tyndall stone for the floor and the walls, same as I do of the project outside. In other words, I'm bringing the outside into the building. Same thing with the steps. Let's take a look at what else is on the main floor of the gallery. To the right of the front door is a children's classroom, a lecture room, and an auditorium that seats 319 people in very stylish Eames and Miller tulip chairs. The auditorium is dedicated to Muriel Richardson, whom we discussed in the last podcast, and has seen theater shows, jazz concerts, and during the 1970s held film festivals, and was one of the few places one could see screenings of Fellini and Bergman films. And there is also a fantastic Bosendorfer grand piano for musicians to use. Right now, the Cannes Lions' best commercials in the world is showing. Let's go back out to the main hall, dedicated to past director Ferdinand Eckhart, who worked so hard to increase the gallery's collection of Inuit and Canadian art. This has been the venue for many concerts, corporate gatherings and parties, like Nuit Blanche, an all-night art party held every year at the end of September. Thank you for calling the Winnipeg Art Gallery. How may I help you? Here is the front desk where people purchase admission to the gallery, and to the left of the front door is the gift shop and rental department where you can get some Manitoba art for your walls. Here is... Aiden Quiring, and I am the art rental and sales assistant. Fantastic, and I I heard that the uh, art rentals uh, department in the WAG have been going since 1952 or something like that. Oh, it's been a very, very long time, and it's been doing really, really well. How many different artists artists are represented in here? I represent about 200, and we carry about 600 pieces, and the pieces are always changing. Um, as people are renting and are purchasing, I'm bringing in new pieces all the time, which means that we've always got fresh work. It's great. Next, I talked to Sherry Van Wendt, the retail manager for the gift shop, all about the art books for sale, the jewelry, and... We've always got great pieces in from Jordan Mansoul. We also have a beautiful selection of work from Robert Archambault, Alan Lakovetsky, um, Kelly Ray, lots of really great lots local ceramicists, local, glass local blowers. People. Yes, most of most of the work we carry is by Manitoba artists. And so this Jordan Van Sewell piece here, it's a robot in a convertible. 
<laughs> we have a two-headed dog. Robot car. This one is called the White Wimp. I think it's a self-portrait of him on a beach. Yeah, he's wearing like a little sailor hat. And he's got some skulls. Jordan always does interesting stuff. Mm -hmm. And this has been one of the places where you could get Jordan's stuff. Uh, yeah, yeah. We have a nice variety of his work too. So we have small tiles. Quite a a range of price points. The gift shop has many things that can only be found here, such as original Inuit prints, the WAG 100 line of fashionable t-shirts featuring art posters from the 50s, 60s, and 70s, and the numerous art books and catalogs that the gallery has produced over the many years. Let's head out of the gift shop, past the front desk, and through the large entrance hall, Eckhart Hall, towards a window in the corner. If you look through this window, you will see down into an area where there is a very long and wide ramp that goes below street level. This is the access to another entrance that's not used anymore. School buses full of children would be back down the ramp, and this would make the driver's blood pressure jump even in the summer when the ramp was not covered in ice. Entire classes of children would go through those doors and into art education areas and then be given tours of the whole gallery. We will be visiting the basement shortly to see why it's not full of school kids anymore. But first, let's head over here to this tall brown door. It's so big you could drive a tank through it, Behind this door is the loading bay, where the trucks full of art pull in when delivering or receiving art from around Canada and the world. So if the gallery wanted to put an enormous sculpture in the middle of Eckhart Hall, it would be a fairly simple operation. Next to the loading door is the main staircase, which is, of course, also made out of Tindallstone. But you might notice something curious about the way it is facing. Normally, when one enters a large room that features a staircase, the stairs will greet the visitor, and the flow of traffic can simply move forward through the hall and then up the stairs. In the WAG, the stairs are turned around 180 degrees in a playful manner. This allows the hall to be a hall and not just something to be traveled through to get upstairs, and it also provides a good viewpoint to see down at the people gathered there. One last thing on the main floor is a hidden area to the right of the big loading door. People might notice light coming out of this little alcove, but hardly anybody knows what is behind the door hidden within. My name is Radovan Radulovic. I'm head of conservation at the WAG. Excellent. And where, where are you from? People are going to say, hey, that I'm accent from sounds... former Yugoslavia, Bosnia, Sarajevo. And you restore paintings and sculptures and fix yes. them. And yes, that's my job here. It's, it's, yeah, it's very rewarding sometimes and very boring in some other times. <laughs> it's, it's lots of attention to details. You need to have lots of patience for it. There's another interesting dark painting here. It's from Cleghorn Collection. Oh. Andrew can probably tell you more about it. And it's the original is done by Raffaello. This is copy, and we don't know exact date of it, but it's quite dark. We have it in the collection since 30s. 1930s was never clean or exhibited. Is that because of people smoking cigarettes near it over uh, the... The varnish uh, can dark just darken just because of UV rays and, and the smoke, I'm sure. Fire kitchens, uh, fireplaces. So just so describe what's... What's going on well, here? It's a panel painting, maybe three feet by four feet. Um, it's on dark, dark mahogany panel, and uh, there's a big crack going all the way across that it's actually joined between two panels mm -hmm. that's cracked over time, and I'm removing varnish, so there's maybe one-sixth of the painting cleaned. How do you remove the varnish? With the solvents. In this... In this case, it's isopropyl alcohol and acetone and toluene. 
So you just very, very carefully, little yeah, by little. With a, with a cotton swab, and this is my third jar of cotton swab. Oh, used yeah, cotton swab. So that's probably I'm for this square foot. I'm probably about three, four hundred cotton swabs down, and each one is rolled by hand. And you can really see the color underneath now. You can yeah. see the reds and greens popping out, whereas yeah, before it just looked like black. It's it, it definitely. So I'm very curious to to clean the rest of it and then to try to re-adhere and fix the cracks and uh, in-paint all the losses and previous in-paintings. It will be a nice addition to maybe permanent collection show once it's done. So this actual copy of the Raphael is 100 or 200 years old? Oh, probably more, probably 300. Radovan showed me a large ultraviolet blacklight that is used in the examination of artworks. It can determine if any alterations have been made that may not be visible in natural light. For example, it can show if a different artist has touched up a painting later on. It's like magic. Don't you mean it's like science? Yes, it's, it's not like science. It is science. I, I think we should head down to the basement now. Down here are the boilers for heating and pumps for cooling and humidifiers and all the other industrial things that keep the gallery running. There is a wood shop that builds display cases and shipping crates for the art. And there's also the office of one of the longest serving gallery employees. Uh, my name is Kerry Archibald and I've been here since 1971. Doing what? Basically doing the installation work at the gallery. Uh, I'm now in charge of put it up, take it down, pack it, crate it, ship it, move it. So this is the big elevator here. Wow. So when this was built, this was the largest? It was, I think, the largest freight elevator in Western Canada at the time. And it looks like you can uh, back a five-ton truck in it? Yeah. Which they did. Or four small cars. Well, when they built the building, they used to hide the foreman's car on varying floors. So. <laughs> they would just take his car and put it on a floor? Yeah. So he'd have to go and find it at 5 o'clock to try and figure out where they'd hidden it this time. <laughs> That's hilarious. So we're in the elevator now, and we're heading on up the stairs. Those crashing noises are the doors of the elevator opening. It splits in the middle, and half the door goes in the ceiling, and half the door goes into the floor. And here we are in the loading bay. Yes. And this is where huge trucks can come in and uh, yes. park and... Yes, unfortunately they've made some of the trucks too huge now. We'll take a 48-foot trailer, but it won't take a 53-foot trailer or so. This is the big door that leads on into the uh, Eckhart Hall. Carrie and I then walked up to the gallery level, where he showed me something which was hidden underneath one of the floors that hardly anybody knows about. But the building hasn't changed too much since it opened. No, not really. It's perhaps the best logistically laid out gallery I've ever been to, so... In what, in what way? Well, just the fact that the elevator is central. It leads to every floor. You can 
move large things in and out. Okay, so here's here's a part in gallery where are we gallery nine, you say? Yeah, it's called now called gallery nine. And this part of the floor is raised up a tiny bit if someone was to be observant. And you can hear it's hollow underneath. Why? Because there's a three foot deep reflecting pool in it. Uh, so this could have been full of water or it could have been drained of water and you could kind of go down into it. That's what yeah. Gus was telling me. Yeah. Yeah, we did both. Unfortunately, they decided to... The first installation was a Don Proche piece and he wanted the water to look like blood. So they used a lot of red food coloring uh -huh. to stain the water and... Uh, it stained the walls of the pool, so it's a pink reflecting pool now. <laughs> <laughs> so it was used only a couple of times in 1971? It, it's been used, I think, about three or four times in the entire time of the gallery, so it's not the best idea. Right. Particularly as now you can't use it because of uh, humidity. Yeah, I imagine having a giant pool. Well, actually, how big is the... How would, this is 30, like it's about... 30 by 30. 30 feet by 30 feet full of water is going to be difficult to control humidity. Mm -hmm. Just a <laughs> bit. And it was. Well, it'd be, it'd be interesting one day if it was ever opened up again, because then it doesn't have to be filled full of water, right? It can be just empty and dry and then be a lower platform. Yeah, they did that, but then it wound up becoming a tripping hazard for My. people that didn't necessarily watch where they were going. <laughs> well, you got to be careful. The castle lights are growing dim. There's no one left but me and him. You embarrassed yourself with Vincent Price? Yeah. What would you say? Well, he showed up to look for Dr. Eckhart. Mm -hmm. And I recognized him but could not think of the name. So I just immediately blurted out, you're him. Pointed him to the director's office and then decided I'd just hide in the basement because it was just too embarrassing. <laughs> it's, it's you, that guy. Exactly. <laughs> Knew exactly who it was, but really bad with names. Oh, so. dear. <laughs> Carrie and I took the elevator down to the basement again. Down the hall a bit, we can see the old entrance where the school kids used to come in, but now it is full of plinths and crates of art. In 1995, the WAG expanded into the old medical office building just to the south, and all the art classes and weekend workshops were moved there. The demands for art education were growing very quickly, and the basement was just too small to handle all the traffic. Well, that's right, the, the ramp at the back of the, uh, the yeah. wag here that's not really used much anymore. No. It's, the, this entrance over yeah. here uh, used to be, you know, school children would come in yeah. down to the to basement these, here. Yeah, they used to have the, school, the studio programs, and the education department used to run all their tours starting in the basement and then going mm -hmm. up into the galleries. But, but they had to expand the... We expanded the vaults and made it a more secure area. I should mention, the basement of the gallery is now a secure zone. People can't just walk down here without security letting them in. Besides a wood shop and the mechanical hearts of the gallery, there is also the newer location of the photo studio. Ernie Mayer is the chief art photographer for the WAG and has shot art for hundreds of publications over the 40 years he has worked here. There are two separate chemical darkrooms in there, but now they are unused, being put out of business by digital cameras and Photoshop. Behind this other door, we will find the main vault that stores the art collection, which was greatly expanded in 2005 to hold more art in a safer environment. And Dan Donaldson is the gatekeeper. 
Well, my name is Dan Donaldson, and I'm the vault technician at the Winnipeg Art Gallery. How many works of art are in here? In this vault? I mean, yeah. there's, there's three vaults, but in this one there's probably over, with works on paper, over 12,000 pieces wow. of art. So there's paintings and works on paper? Paintings on screens, and we store all the works on paper flat in uh, core class boxes. The art vault is full of large, movable screens with art hanging all over them, and Dan has to push them around There's all day long. Being moved. Smashy, well, the the paintings are obviously quite thin, so they don't need much space, yeah. and so there's about twelve inches in between each screen. Some of the paintings have like larger uh, frames on them, so I put extenders. Right. You see these legs here just so that there's more space in between the screens. That one says number 82 on it, so is there almost 100 movable walls yeah, down here? basically, yeah. Wow, and they're big and heavy, and there's dozens of paintings on each one of yeah. them. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're fairly good, though. You can usually move five or six screens at one time. So. And so there are other vaults down here as well. Yeah, there's the decorative arts vault where we store, uh, you know, glass works and china works and stuff like that. And then there's the photo vault and silver vault, which is kept pretty cold it's usually around 17 degrees because so it's like a walk-in you know, fridge as a photographer that photos should be kept fairly cool and yeah it helps preserve them yeah and so, there's vhs tapes and stuff in there too isn't yeah, there we keep yeah vhs and old reel-to-reel stuff you know the gallery has over 25,000 works of art in its collection 11,000 of those comprising the largest public collection of inuit art in the world let's head back up to the main floor past the front desk up the big staircase in Eckhart Hall, where we should take note of another interesting thing, the handrails. The wooden handrails have two levels. There is a lower one for children. Not that kids need handrails, they usually just storm as fast as possible up the stairs. And the handrail is not attached to the wall, but goes up the middle of the wide staircase. Well, not the middle exactly, it's sort of over to one side. And it's pretty close to the golden ratio. What do you mean pretty close? The golden ratio is supposed to be 1.62. Yeah, I know. What is the ratio of the placement of the handrail? It's 4 feet on one side and 8 feet on the other. That is a ratio of 1.5. Are you trying to be humorous by being incorrect? Yes. Well, it worked. Ha ha ha. Up the stairs, the next level is called the mezzanine. This area often has an art display focusing on a single theme. Right now, there are artifacts from every decade of the last 100 years of the gallery. Here, there are administration offices, and curiously, a room marked infirmary. But there isn't a bed with a nurse next to it anymore, just more office space. Gus loved to design details into his buildings, so the metal plate that has the word infirmary engraved into it has a font specifically chosen by him. He even designed minimalist cube-like furniture for the public seating areas of the gallery. Just over here is the boardroom, with a most fantastic chrome and glass chandelier above an enormous wooden table. Gus designed the golden ratio into it as well. It's a great-looking thing. Just to the right of the boardroom is the library, dedicated to Clara Lander, who we will be addressing in a later podcast. And just to the left of the boardroom is the director's office, which also has a very cool chrome and glass chandelier designed by Gus. It looks like a space-age atom with electrons jumping out of the nucleus. The current director is Stephen Boris, who has restored the original 1970s chairs into his reception area. 
Just to the left of the director's office are many more offices, and I have found someone here who wants to show me somewhere in the building I have never been, and then drop something from a great height. Introduce myself. Okay, I'm Bill Elliott, and I'm the director of uh, finance and operation here at the Winnipeg Art Gallery. I've been working here for uh, just two years now. One of the things I really thought was fun um, was there's a large amount of stairwells in this building. It helps you move from floor to floor and connect um, basically without being seen. So I, I should just sort of say that uh, Bill, Bill has always wanted to drop something down the stairwell. Because it's perfect. It's got this giant void in the middle. <laughs> so we're going to drop... Uh, uh, parachute man. I think they call them the Cosmo- Kamikaze parachutes, uh, guys. They're I... like the classic um, toy where it's just the... I think they're probably in cereal boxes to start. But... I remember when those when I was a kid. Yeah. It's, it's a little so... plastic man with a little plastic parachute and some string. Yeah. And we just I picked them up in our gift shop, and it was... Great. I can't wait. Who knew that the gift shop had stocking stuffers and uh, mischief makers? <laughs> yeah. Bill led me out of the offices, through the library, and then into a magical place. Oh, wow. Yeah. This is... This is great. Yeah. It's, this stairwell is my favorite because as you go down... The ceiling height is, gets bigger, but as you go up, the ceiling height gets lower and lower. And so it's really, <laughs> it's kind of funny in how it, it actually works. Um, Let's go to the top. Okay. It's so echoey in here. Oh. Ah. Ah. Echo. At the top of the stairwell, there was a door which led to a hallway that I had never seen before, but then another door which led to a room that I had. No, I don't recognize this at all. There's a barbecue here. Yeah, another hidden space. And if you go through this door... Oh my goodness. You're in the staff lunch room. It's the staff lunch room. (laughs) Okay, let's get back into the stairwell and drop some stuff. We seem to be five stories up. That's what it is, looking at the basement down there. In the staff lunchroom, we found some old dried up gumballs. Three, two, one. (laughs) It just went half. I think it exploded. (laughs) Should we drop the little parachute man? Drop the parachute. Okay, parachute man. parachute man made it all the way down without hitting any of the railings. Then we went down and cleaned up the gumballs. They're going to be wondering why there's gum down here. Hey, here's our little brave little parachute man. It smells like bubble gum. It does? <laughs> oh yeah, the green one is smashed. Oh well. After we cleaned up the smashed gumballs, I exited out of the bottom of the stairwell into the basement with all its mechanical air pumps and such and took the elevator to the third floor, the primary gallery level just above the mezzanine. The grand staircase ends up here in the skylight lounge, which is centrally located with four entrances to the galleries all around. This allows for a show to be put up or taken down in one gallery without blocking access to the others. Again, here I am talking to the architect of the WAG, Gusta Rosa. So, but this is also, could you maybe say it's like a little resting zone where you could take a breath before Yes. You... 
or my wife spends too much time in Norman Rockwell, and I want to look at some of those nice or Eskimo prints or something. So, okay, I'll meet you in the Skylight Lounge, uh, five, ten minutes. It's a good central place. It's a central meeting place. You got it. It's like a neutral zone. Neutral zone is a better word. You, you, you're a good word. I must catch you one day. You can help me write my bombast when I talk to the client. <laughs> I, I'll try. <laughs> we went into Gallery 1 and discussed one of the few windows in the building. I really like this one window here in this uh, Oh, that is a more for release. When you're looking at galleries for hours, you want to take a pause. And I only have them here and on that gallery facing Colony Street to the north. And you will know both of these large windows don't face south because that's the hardest. Uh, it gets... Uh, uh, strong sunlight, which is very bad for the works. There are nine galleries in total on this level, displaying everything from 2,000-year-old Roman glass bottles to Inuit soapstone carvings to contemporary Winnipeg artists to religious paintings from medieval Europe to one of my personal favorites, a Tom Thompson oil painting from 1916 called Early Snow. Let's go up one more floor in the elevator. Actually, it's pretty much the only way to get to the top level. In the elevator, this floor is marked penthouse, like a jet-setting bachelor lives there. But instead, it is home to a restaurant, the staff lunchroom, a reflecting pool outside, and the sculpture garden. When the building was new in 1970, the only inside area was a small coffee shop, but now it has been expanded, so the restaurant, Storm Bistro, can cater large gatherings for weddings or conferences. In the summer, the rooftop sculpture garden area is host to stand-up comedy, exercise classes, and jazz concerts. But right now, it's covered with snow. If you look carefully through the drifts, you can see that Gus has designed ramps within the stairs for wheelchair access to all levels of the roof. This is also so large, heavy sculptures can be moved without hiring a crane, which is pretty clever. I think we have touched on almost every part of the Winnipeg Art Gallery building. So, I guess it's time to go. And so we end up at the entrance again, next to the only piece of Tyndall stone in the whole gallery that has something inscribed in it. Just four numbers, 1970. And behind it is a time capsule full of, well, I'm not sure what's in it from 1970. One day in the future, it will be opened. Maybe we will have to wait until 2020 or 2070 I can certainly see this building lasting for a hundred years. If you have any comments about the Winnipeg Art Gallery podcast, please email us at wagpodcast at gmail.com. I'd like to thank the staff of the Winnipeg Art Gallery for cooperating with me, and to Curtis Noasad for this awesome jazz music. Please go to pinterest.com slash wagca to see some photos of what we were discussing on today's podcast. It's going to look good 20 years later. Right now, we are about 40 odd years, 45 years later. And in another 40 more years, it's still going to look good. Because that is architecture. For it to be a piece of architecture, which is also an art, it has to be more than a building.